Hi, everyone. This is Vanessa Richardson from California Groundbreakers. I'm here for the fourth and final icebreaker podcast that we're doing for our event on the Brewmasters on Wednesday, October 11th. And my guest, who is last but not least, is Glenn Phillips, owner of the Rubicon Brewing Company. We're sitting here with a humongous bottle, the biggest bottle I've ever seen of unfiltered IPA, unfiltered Rubicon IPA, mm-hmm. which I believe is some of the last batch of Rubicon beer left. Yeah, uh, we decided that it was only fitting that the last batch of beer we brew was Rubicon IPA. And and this afternoon when I was getting ready to come over here, I was looking for something to put it in, and all I saw was this big-ass bottle. And so uh, I put in that. You guys bought all the, the growlers up, and I mean, it just, they were all gone. So. And why I brought you in, Glenn, is because November 1st of uh 2017 is officially the 30 year anniversary of rubicon brewing but rubicon brewing is currently closed correct. so it didn't make it that close but still if if i'm correct it was the first tap room in sacramento the first brewery at least since prohibition uh, in sacramento. no uh there were a few other breweries that were ahead of us uh, hogshead uh for one and a couple others that uh went away and uh currently even though we've closed, uh, we are the oldest brewery, operating brewery in Sacramento, so, and the sixth oldest in the state of California. So that's the claim to fame. Mm-hmm. So my first question for you, as I look at this humongous bottle of unfiltered IPA, was I was going to ask about the first memorable beer that you have had that maybe started you down the path of beer greatness. Do you remember what that beer was? I sure do. Um, uh, so... Uh, my parents, great people, by the way. Uh, I would hope we so. both worked, and uh, my father was a traveling salesman. My mother uh, did shift work at a hospital. She was a nurse. Uh, Where did you grow up? Uh, kind of all over the United States. But um, by the time I became interested in beer, um, my parents wouldn't let me drink beer, nor would they keep beer in the house because they... My mother would work noon to eight or, or graveyard, stuff like that. And so... Um, I was really interested in beer, and so was my neighbor Todd. And so we used to go to the homebrew shop and buy the ingredients to make beer, because you could do that when you were underage, but you couldn't go and buy beer. So we made really uh, on the green over by our house. Uh, uh, drinking beer that we had made is really one of the all-time greatest things because the beer was just awful, <laughs> but we drank it all. It was uh, you know Todd and I. And my mom would come home and she'd say, you guys clean the kitchen. And we're like, of course we did. <laughs> yeah, because beer is a, um, making good beer, even though we didn't, is really an exercise in cleanliness. So, I'm just curious, is, is that still allowed, uh, at least in California, where you can go into a homebrew shop and buy the ingredients? Or have I, they started I'm unsure, you know, down? and hopefully I haven't ruined it for all the other underage You're people out there that are really uh, interested in drinking beer and making beer. But, uh, you know, we we had a lot of fun and, you know, learned a little bit about chemistry and, you know, it was a hobby that we undertook. And then uh, when I went into college, uh, we used to brew on holidays like St. Patrick's Day or right before we go away for Thanksgiving, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, and it was mostly because I was always interested in the flavors of beer. And uh, a lot of the beer at that time, I mean, this is early 80s, that we were drinking really had no flavor. Like, like you're enjoying some Rubicon IPA right now. I mean, there's, even though that by 
measure of other IPAs out there in the market is not a super hoppy beer. Way back in 1988 when we made that beer, everybody was like, oh my God, why are you guys putting so many hops in there? And um, so it was groundbreaking. And, and there are a lot of brewers, uh, Vinny Solrizo, uh, Mitch Steele, uh, Steve Altamari, uh, who are, who, if you were to talk to them, would credit Rubicon as the brewery that brought the IPA back to the West Coast and, and the United States. So I wanted to ask you about that from home brewing to uh, getting to Rubicon and I guess meeting Ed Brown, mm-hmm. who originally founded it. What's the path? How did you get started and, and well, become a pro? Well, uh, you know, my relationship with Ed is, is and if you've ever met Ed, he's a, he's a great guy and was a visionary in the beer business uh, by opening the Rubicon in 1987. And they did such a great job of uh, running the Rubicon for such a long time. And it, it really was the, the base of uh, the beer business in Sacramento for a very long time. And so Ed and Sue, his wife, really deserve you know, a, a great big high five, right? But um, I met Ed when I was in high school before he opened the Rubicon because his nephew and I were very close. And um, I don't know if you had friends like this when you were in high school, but uh, the Brown family was uh, a family where uh, I was always, there was always a plate at their table for me. And, you know, I'm six foot five and was growing like crazy back then. I used to eat two dinners. You know, I mean, we'd, we'd eat at the Brown house and then we'd eat at my house and all that. <laughs> and Ed, uh, and I used to eat, uh, my family is uh, Southern. Uh, we're from the deep south and so we'd eat uh thanksgiving dinner which is lunch and then uh and then i'd go eat thanksgiving dinner with with the brown family and ed would always be there and then uh invariably after the dinner we'd go and play basketball and and we'd we'd say okay well uh it was craig and his twin brother and me and ed i said okay well let's uh you get scott and me and, and Craig will play, and he's like, no, it's me against the three of you guys. And the first thing he would do was like check one of us into the garage and throw the other one over the hill and then say, okay, now it's just you and me. <laughs> and so uh, I knew Ed for a long time before uh, we started talking about the Rubicon, and um, Ed decided that, you know, it, it was time for him to move on to something else. Uh, you know, the restaurant business is a tough business, and a lot of people become you know just tired uh, of that and so he called me up and said he was ready to sell and I was at a place where uh, I was ready to move into ownership Um, at the time I was the general manager of Marin Brewing Company and um, it was uh, a great job and gosh Brendan Moylan and I learned more from him than uh, you could ever imagine and um, but it was time for me to move on to something else and Fortunately, I had saved a little bit of money and uh, and had the ability uh, to sell my house and buy a house here and and purchase the Rubicon. And so the, that's kind of that's the Ed Brown story. So when you came to Sacramento and and uh, describe what the beer scene was like, there was Rubicon and a few others that you mentioned. Describe what it was like, people's tastes, you know, what they wanted at that time, and also when you when you came 
to town. What did you, did you have any thoughts about, okay, here's what changes I want to make. Here's what I want to start. And how did you, you know, get the ball rolling? Well, uh, when I first purchased uh, the Rubicon in 2005, uh, June of 2005, there were only a few breweries in town. Uh, Hogshead, River City, Hoppy, Sacramento Brewing Company, uh, The Oasis, Sudwerk, and I think that was it, basically, in the Sacramento area. And so five or six different breweries, and now there's closer to 80 different breweries. I mean, it, uh, the competition is thick. Um, also, um, back then, when you would go to a restaurant and try and sell your beer into that restaurant, if there were more than four taps, you were overjoyed. Because uh, if there's only four taps, it was going to be Bud, Miller, Coors, and Sierra Nevada uh, Pale Ale, which I still carry in my fridge, by the way. I love that beer. And if you want to talk a little bit about Sierra Nevada later, about you know, it, it just it, I, I've got a great story about Sierra Nevada we could talk about, but um, nonetheless uh, it changed over time, and uh, when I first came to Sacramento and tried to start selling uh, beer in the uh, Midtown Sacramento downtown area, a lot of people didn't want to do it because uh, they felt like it was competitive and so we had to really focus on the, the foothills and some of the surrounding areas to really get our beer moving and you know, at that time, we were with a, a great local uh, wholesaler who helped us out and, and really did some nice things for us. Uh, Gary Scanny and his, uh, his group were, were very good to us. And so we, we grew the business. Um, and at the time that I purchased uh, Rubicon, uh, Ed was really focusing on just the pub. And he had a couple of retail accounts around. He wasn't all that concerned with it. So... Um, the first thing I really did, uh, my background is sales, and, and I, I feel like life is sales. And so um, I just went out and started selling our beer and, and wanted to grow that business as an extra bloodline for uh, the Rubicon. And then, uh, you know, things progressed, and, and we grew and grew. So. And I wanted to ask about the Rubicon IPA, because while I was doing research on you for this podcast, I came across a B story about Scott Cramelt, am I saying his name yes. right? Your, uh, your brewer that left recently on good terms. Yes. Um, and he, they talked about uh, his tenure there and uh, the IPA that was uh, was basically kind of like a bomb that dropped because uh, people weren't used to it, I believe. And according to the B, uh, this became Rubicon's flagship brew long before Russian River's Pliny the Elder and Ballast Point Sculpin IPA. And it set a new standard in the West Coast IPA category with much more intense hop flavors. Was that what you intended? What was the thoughts and, and uh, production of IPA, and what did you think about it? Where, where did you want to go with that? Well, um, the, the very first beer that we took to wholesale was Rubicon uh, IPA on the advice of Steve Harrison from Sierra Nevada because uh, I had the good fortune of being elected to the California Small Brewers Association as the secretary and was able to... Uh, create some new friendships of some people that had already been through a lot of the things that I wanted to do. And so um, I ate dinner with Steve and I asked him, what would you do if you were me? And he said, 
go to market with one beer. Make sure it's an IPA because it's got extra hops and a little bit more alcohol, which are natural preservatives, and establish your wholesale network that way. And then once you uh, really get your wholesale network, and things are very different now. I mean, I, I don't know that somebody could do that now, but uh, we established a, a tremendous wholesale network. And you know, a lot of the guys that we have now that have been around for a while always joke, I remember when the only thing we could get was Rubicon IPA in the 22 ounce bottle and Rubicon IPA in the keg which uh, did really well for us for a very long time. But then, you know, we started doing some other things and Monkey Knife Fight came along and just exploded. And, you know, it, it, you know that's how we grew the business with new brands and, and fun new stuff. And were people ready for it at that time? Did you have to introduce it to them? Did you have to explain it to them? Or did they just take to it like water? Um well, the first thing we did was really uh, explore the Sacramento market, and uh, we have a, a tremendous. It, and by the way, thank you to everyone out there that has uh, reached out to me and or said wonderful things about our beer and and everything else. Uh, we have a tremendous following of people in and around the Sacramento area that that buy our beer from the pub, from restaurants, from uh, grocery stores, and everything else. And so, thanks to all those folks. But um, Rubicon IPA in the beginning, it was an easy sell. You know, it, it was a beer that uh, a lot of people hadn't gone out to market with and uh, unless you were a giant brewery. And uh, so we, we had a lot of fun with it. And, uh, you know, it really took us to a new spot and helped us to establish a lot of the outside business. I guess I should ask you about that Sierra Nevada story now because this ties into the event that this podcast is related to, the Brewmasters. One of the uh, guests that is going to be speaking there is Steve Dresler, the just retired uh, head brewer at Sierra Nevada. So uh, I'm reading up right now on the Ken Grossman book, Beyond the Pale Ale, and mm -hmm. learning. So. I don't know if you had already mentioned your Sierra Nevada story, if you had a really good Sierra Nevada yeah, story. Uh, the, I, I'm a Chico grad. And so um, years ago, I mean, and, and when you're in college, what beer do you drink? Schmidt, Heidelberg, you know, what, whatever's cheapest in, and all that. For me, that. it was Rolling Rock. I was East Coast. Uh, yeah, see, Rolling Rock, not a, uh, not a bad beer. It was and pretty good. I, so uh, a really good friend of mine in college, uh, Paul Larson, uh, his mother worked at Sierra Nevada, and I don't know if they still do this or not, but uh, back in those days, on payday, you got your check and a case of beer. And she didn't drink beer, so we were always, we knew when payday was, so we were always waiting at the house for our Sierra Nevada beer. And, uh, you know, it, it might be Bigfoot barley wine or porter, hopefully it was pale ale. We'd be like, yeah, okay, you know, and uh, so that. Um, and, and then also being from the Bay Area, you know, uh, Sierra Nevada beer was really my first introduction to craft beer. Um, but being from the Bay Area, I'm also very, very fond of Anchor Steam and what Fritz Maytag did with, with those brands. And uh, it really developed my palate for beer that has more flavor than uh, a lot of the American lagers, which are wonderful beers, by the way. I mean, a, a lot of people knock them, but... It is not easy to make a beer that tastes like water. 
I just got an email from Steve Dresler. I'd asked him, uh, what beer would you recommend we serve Sierra Nevada beer? And he said, pale ale, of course, and a newer hoppy blonde called BFD, or Beer for Drinking. And for everyone out there, I did ask Glenn if he had any extra uh, Rubicon beer left over, but apparently it's gone, So, or pretty much yeah. near gone. So can't. Well, we've, got a, we've got a little <laughs> bit here and there, but... Uh... You know, and and who knows exactly? You know, there's a there's a lot going on that I just can't talk about. But oh, okay, uh, we'll we'll see. Let, what let's have with some the more beer, Glenn, and maybe I can get that out of you because I do have a question about that later. <laughs> but I did want to ask you about food uh, because I I'm one of those people who rave about the fish and chips that you used to serve at the tap room mm-hmm. on 18th and Capitol and 20th and Capitol 20th and Capitol I'm sorry oh the beer's already hitting me but <laughs> I if I am correct it seems like there's not many tap rooms or brewers that serve food with their uh beer and the tap room had a pretty extensive menu mm-hmm. so I was it sounds like Ed put that into place serving beer I bring this up because when I, my background is I'm a business journalist, so I used to write stories for the Sacramento Business Journal. One of the first stories was the explosion of the craft beer scene. I think this was back in 2011. But a lot of the brewers were saying, we're not going to serve beer. We're just going to serve, we're we're not going to serve food. We'll serve beers. And you can bring in food or whatever because the overhead is too high. It's just too much work. I'm wondering if you... For you, when you served beer, was that a, a good thing? Was it a headache? It was it just something that, okay, we're just going to do it. I was curious, how hard is it to uh, have a full kitchen along with making beer? Well, uh, the restaurant business is is not an easy business, and um, you know it's all encompassing. You work weekends, holidays, uh, uh, day and night. Uh, you know two and three shifts uh, a day and so um and uh there's another level of scrutiny that comes with that um from health and human services where uh you know the, the tap rooms are not subject to that uh scrutiny and so um a lot of people and this is really a new thing that's happened uh i've been in the beer business for 25 years and the tap room uh the brewery tap room is something that's only happened in the last five. So, you know, my memory of, of what brew pubs were for the last 25 years is a restaurant and a brewery, a brew pub. And uh, I w- helped put myself through college working in restaurants. My first job down the street from my house in um, uh, the East Bay was at the Round Table Pizza down there. You know, I mean, it, it, so I, I, my background is in the restaurant business, and uh, it's always given me energy. And uh, for example, if you were to look at the um, Monkey Knife Fight label, it's it's basically a yin yang si- symbol. And and uh, you know, one of my old employees, uh, Rachel, uh, made that for me. It was my brainchild, and I explained it to her, and she's a great artist. And I said, I want monkeys and sabers and knives and it's all got to be yin yang because I get my social input working at the restaurant and then I'm able to go home and relax and spend time with my wife and kids and and uh, and and be a good husband and father but when I was working for other companies before my life in beer um, you know sitting in a cubicle it would drive me crazy I'd come home and I have to go for a run or uh, 
you know, go out and, and talk to people or whatever. I, I'm a very social guy. And so uh, that logo is all about Rubicon Brewing Company and and the social and the, you know, just everything else. And so um, where was I going with all this? <laughs> I think with the food. So um, I also think that it's really, and I'm a big fan of coming into uh, a place and sitting down and having people bring food to me. Uh, enjoying the discourse that comes with drinking beer and eating good food and then having them clear all the plates away because I work too hard already. And so when I come into a brewery and sit down and want to enjoy a solid pint like the one that we're drinking right now, um, I also want to, maybe I'm not super hungry, I want to have some chicken wings or, you know, I'm a simple caveman. Uh, I don't want to serve high-end food or anything like that. I want somebody to come in, sit down, have something that's satisfying, not going to hit you in the pocketbook too hard, and you have a solid pint. You know, and our, our benchmark used to be, you know what, if, if a guy comes in, has a pint or two and a burger, he's going to spend less than 20 bucks. Of course, we can't do that anymore. Life's different. But, um, you know, the, the food aspect, I always thought, really played into that conversation because beer is conversation. And, uh, you know, people want to come in, God, I did this podcast today and uh, blah, 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 you know. Uh, and so over a couple of pints, that's a good conversation. But uh, And you know what? A, a little bit of food, you're going to sell a couple more pints. Um, now, if you want to talk about the restaurant business, uh, the HR and the turnover and uh, just having more employees and uh, watching food cost and you know it's something that you have to be on top of the whole time and so uh, it's not an easy business at all but I think that it's a good part of uh, drinking a beer and it does seem this leads right into my next question about the since you were there you know your milestones and expansion and again from the Sacramento Bee there was, you know, you had a major growth spurt. You had the brew house and the pub. You opened up a, a production facility in West Sacramento, a pretty big one. So they were saying in, in 2012, Rubicon had a 52% increase in beer sales. And then by 2014, sales were up another 114%. So it was Correct. gangbusters. So uh, I don't want to say what happened, but what were those milestones? And then, you know, between when you took over and, and then this year well um you know we had a lot of pent-up demand for our beer and uh, when we started the whole expansion project uh, uh the beer landscape was very different than it is now um so all the growth was exciting and new and everything else but i think that our growth really outgrew the cash flow and so uh, that would be a warning that I would heed to a lot of the other brewers and people that are thinking about brewing beer. Is there's a, a very serious difference between brewing 2,000 barrels of beer and brewing 10,000 barrels of beer. And uh, you know a lot of time and energy and money that go into uh, that difference. And uh, at the end of the day, we never brewed more than 5,000. And so uh, 
my cash flow uh, was exceeded by our growth. And that's really what expedited the downfall of, of the Rubicon. Uh, now, if the business was the same as it was when there were only 5, 10, 15, 20 breweries in, in the area, well, I think that it might have been a little bit of a different story. But who in their crystal ball would have seen 80 breweries in the Sacramento area? So in August, I don't remember what day it was, but I know it was August. I saw the article in the B and went to the Facebook post like where you announced we're shutting down. Mm-hmm. What what was the day, what happened on the day when you decided, you know what, I uh, we're going to have to shut down? What what was the final decision and when you announced to the public this is what's going to happen what happened next what was the result well you kind of have it backwards okay um first off uh it's there's so much that went into that decision and i'm not somebody that uh lies down uh you know when i get knocked down i get back up and i fight and so um, there were a variety of things that happened uh, that um, really kind of expedited the, the closure of the Rubicon. And um, the first thing that we did once uh, we decided that it was time to close was we announced it to all of our employees first. Because our, our employees and our customers are really what made the Rubicon what it is, uh, especially in Midtown. I mean, it's just... You know, and, and I didn't want to give it up, and I didn't want to close, but uh, you know, it just really exceeded my financial ability to to keep it going. And so we announced to our employees, and uh, that was really one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Uh, just crazy, and uh, there were tears and hugs and and all that, and then uh, you know, a couple of our regulars got wind of it and they started to announce it and and so after that big emotional scene with all of our employees and everything else then I, I felt like it was important that we make a, an official uh, announcement and so that's when I made the announcement that after 29 and a half years we were going to close our doors and uh, so um, really it it it's more than I can really explain as to why and what for. And it would take more than this big ass bottle, uh, to really, uh, drag it out of me. But, uh, it's the closing of a brewery is not an easy thing. I I've seen a variety of breweries close and I've tried to help all of them when they were doing it by buying up assets and, and everything else. And so, um, it's just been really kind of a process. So, well, I'm going to try and drag something out of you sure. because I was going to ask, you know, is there a comeback? Someone said, well, maybe with so much outpouring um, and emotional interest and involvement people have, maybe there's a comeback or maybe there's Glenn's phase two in the beer industry. So, is there anything that you can tell us about uh, Glenn's next phase? And well, um, Let's talk about the Rubicon first. I, I think the Rubicon uh, name and the beer is bigger than me or any one person, and I and it it really holds a spot in California history. And uh, it's not my place to to claim that as my own. 
because the Rubicon really is uh, its own kind of juggernaut. And uh, so that being said, I think there is a second chance for the, or a third chance or a fourth chance for the Rubicon. And uh, that will unfold hopefully soon. We'll see. You know, I, I, I really, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but uh, there are a variety of people that are interested in, and are trying to make something happen. Um, maybe it involves me. Maybe it doesn't. Um, I've interviewed for a variety of jobs, uh, which I really shouldn't talk about, but uh, don't want to jinx that. We, we love the Sacramento area. Um, you know, I, I have a family here, and uh, we're very, very uh, entrenched in the community here, and we're not leaving. We're not going anywhere. Um, and so, uh, and my knowledge is all in the beer business. So I think that in one way or another, uh, me, uh, I will be involved somewhere in the beer business. So we'll just see, you know, as we progress through and really we, we've closed, but we're still closing, you know, there's just so much to it all and it's hard and stressful. So, um, and I'm not somebody as we've been talking to the banks and everybody else, uh, you know, a lot of the comments have been, you know, you're, you're weird. Uh, because most people, when they close a business, lock the door and walk away. Uh, I can say from my heart that we've paid all of our employees. Uh, we're working very hard to pay all our vendors. We're working very hard to do the right thing by the banks and, and everything else. And so, um, plus, I've always said that uh, normal people are boring and I'm anything but normal. And most of the people that work for me are not normal either. So, um We'll see what happens with the Rubicon, and uh, you know that's only time will tell. I wanted to ask your view of the current crap you're seeing these days in Sacramento and Northern California. It's such a big hub; you hear so much about it. So I wanted to get your view of that, and also what advice you would give to those who work in it now and want to work in it. Well, the crap beer scene now is very competitive, and. Um, you know, there are so many great beers out there. And I, I would say to those that want to get into the beer business, take the budget that you write, look at uh, what you have for working capital and triple it. It is a very cash intensive business. And uh, if depending upon what your plans are, uh, you want to just run a, a, a tap room or a brew pub or whatever, just make sure you have plenty of cash on hand because, uh, you know, it's it's not an easy business and it's very cash intensive. Um, and then your second question was? Uh, well, I guess you answered both. It was a view of the overall 360 view of the beer scene and advice to those who are working in it and want to get into it. So, Well, um, I really think, sorry, I'm a fiddler. Um, I really think that uh, the the craft beer scene in Sacramento is amazing right now. I mean, it's, uh, the, uh, of the top 10 markets for craft beer in California, Sacramento is number three. Uh, San Diego, San Francisco, then Sacramento, and then LA follow, follows somewhere behind that, even though they have 
quadruple the uh, people. So if I'm a consumer and I'm living in Sacramento right now, you do not need to buy beer outside of Sacramento or Northern California. And uh, if you are, then you're really missing the best beers in the world. Uh, I've had beers from around the world and uh, traditional beers and new beers and and everything else and and the beers that that people are producing in and around the Sacramento area uh, are truly incredible and so much passion and energy putting in put into making those beers that uh, when you go to your market and you buy beer look for something from California and know what you're buying and then if you're going to be critical of beer and there are a lot of people that are very critical of beer these days. Know what you're talking about. And, and a great example of that is there's a, a local uh, newspaper that I used to advertise in that I stopped advertising in because they ranked beers and they, uh, they gave our Rubicon IPA a very negative uh, uh, ranking. And they gave uh, a beer that... Uh, they said had a tremendous buttery flavor to it, uh, a very high ranking. And I don't know if you understand beer, but butter equals diacetyl, which is a defect in beer, uh, which should send them straight to an F. And so if you're gonna taste beer and be critical of beer, understand what you're talking about. So maybe you uh, do the Cicerone test online, uh, the, the first level Cicerone is uh, an easy test. I took it and, and passed it the first time. That's I, like the sommelier of beer. Right, yes. And, uh, and, and so the server Cicerone, you know, they, they talk about different flavors and defects and, and uh, different styles of beer. And then as you progress up levels, uh, you know, there are, there are very few people that have reached the high, highest level. I think Ryan Graham from Track 7 locally is someone that has been rated... Uh, uh, or uh, has achieved the highest level, uh, or look at the BJCP uh, uh, style guidelines for a beer and and defects, and and then make your critical analysis. So, my last question for you is November thirst. Excuse me. <laughs> November thirsty. November yes. thirsty <laughs> starts on November first, which is the thirtieth anniversary mm-hmm. of Rubicon. Are you? planning to commemorate the 30th year and if so how are you planning to do that well we kind of started uh commemorating um a while ago i'm a uh, i'm a disney fan and disney doesn't do anything for one day uh, our plan we had a, a lot of different plans that we were going to do but uh depending upon what happens we may or may not you know, it, it just, uh, there's a, a lot of moving parts, um, and we'll just see. Well, Glenn, I I think I'm going to speak on behalf of everyone in Sacramento. Uh, thanks to you and Ed Brown for starting Rubicon, uh, making it so great, giving us great food and beer, and being such a big part of Sacramento. Uh, I want to raise my glass to you and say cheers. Thank you for coming. My pleasure. And cheers, Sacramento.